Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 Podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. Each week of this podcast is either an episode with a guest or multiple guests, or a solo episode where I unpack some scholarship in relation to computer science education. In this week's particular episode, I'm unpacking a paper titled, A Revaluation of Computational Thinking in K-12 Education, colon, Moving Toward Computational Literacies. And this paper was written by Yasmin Kafai and Chris Proctor. Here's an abstract for this paper, quote, over the past decade, initiatives around the world have introduced computing into K-12 education under the umbrella of computational thinking. While initial implementations focused on skills and knowledge for college and career readiness, more recent framings included situated computational thinking, identity, participation, creative expression, and critical computational thinking, political and ethical impacts of computing, justice. This expansion reflects a revaluation of what it means for learners to be computational literate in the 21st century. We review the current landscape of K-12 computing education discuss interactions between different framings of computational thinking, and consider how an encompassing framework of computational literacies clarifies the importance of computing for broader K-12 educational priorities, as well as key unresolved issues." End quote. If I were to summarize this paper into a single sentence, I'd say that this paper summarizes three key framings of computational thinking, and it proposes computational literacies in place of computational thinking. All right, so this paper can be found in the show notes, which is at jaredoleary.com, where there are hundreds, if not thousands, of free computer science education resources, including a link to bootuppd.org, which is the non profit that I create 100% free elementary coding curriculum for. In the show notes, you'll find links to other podcasts that are relevant to this, as well as a direct link to the paper itself, which at the time of this recording is available for free. And it's only about five pages long, six pages if you include the references. I will, however, say that I highlighted more than I did not highlight when reading through this particular paper. I really enjoyed this episode. So if you guys mean and or Chris are listening to this, I would love to have you on to talk more about this, as well as your other research and publications that you've done. All right, so this paper begins with a very quick introduction into computational thinking, talking about Jeanette Wing's definition of computational thinking, and then doing a very quick overview of how it's kind of changed or evolved over the years. In particular, the authors argue that computational thinking was initially framed around problem solving with computers. However, some scholars and educators have suggested that we should instead focus more on, quote, understanding of the values, biases, and histories embedded in computational technologies and cultures which run on computers. Such an expanded framing of computational thinking will include pragmatic, social cultural, and political dimensions in order to address critical aspects of inequalities caused or exacerbated by the societal impact of computing and the growing prominence of CS as an academic field." End quote. And that quote is from page two. So after the intro, the authors go into a discussion on the three framings of computational thinking. So the three framings, if I were to summarize them very quickly, are cognitive framings, situated framings, and then critical framings. All right, so here's another quote from page two that summarizes each of these three. Quote, one, cognitive framings viewing learning as the acquisition of knowledge and skills and emphasizing preparation for future careers. Two, situated framings viewing learning as identity formation through participation in disciplinary practices and emphasizing creative expression and social engagement in digital media. And three, critical framings viewing learning as developing an understanding of how realities are shaped and emphasizing strategies for resisting marginalization and oppression, end quote. All right, so in the following couple of pages, the authors kind of dive a little bit deeper into each one of these three. So in cognitive framings, there's a tendency to focus on students' outcomes without paying attention to how their learning is embedded within social and cultural contexts. So this specifically focuses on what students are learning. So for example, like some misconceptions around programming or some of the challenges that they experience when they are programming or like debugging or something like that. But it doesn't necessarily take into account, does the student feel welcome within that environment? 
Do they feel like they belong, etc.? So it's more focusing on what they know rather than how their contexts impact what they know and what they learn. On the other hand, situated framings take into account the different identities in relation to the context in which learning occurs. Here's a quote from pages two and three, quote, Situated framings of computational thinking understand learning in terms of identity, practice, and participation, and see computing as a vehicle for personal expression and connecting with others alongside and intersecting a plurality of other literacy practices. Here, applications are focused on connecting the learning of programming with students' prior interests, including music, storytelling, or most often, video games." End quote. The way the authors describe situated framings is that learning is situated within a community of practice that has some shared goals and values. And the focus is on maybe kids being able to express themselves through code or through computing. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because I've had many guests on who I would argue use a situated framing of computational thinking if they were to promote computational thinking. But if we expand beyond computational thinking and just think of computing in general, or computer science, many of the guests have discussed the desire for students to be able to express themselves, and I have done so as well. So like our curriculum at Boot Up is heavily focused on situated language and learning. So one of the authors that they cite in here, James Paul G, is a professor of mine. I've read several of his books on this topic, so it heavily informed the curriculum that I was creating, which also heavily informed the PD that we do at Boot Up. However, the way that we also describe things can also fall into the category of a critical framing, and it depends on what way you were to approach the curriculum that I use or the PD that we facilitate at Boot Up. All right, so a critical framing is, quote, contextualizes cognitive and situated practices within broader cultural formations such as race, gender, class, and language. One mode of criticality, computing in the world, focuses on understanding the role of computational infrastructure in society, and particularly its role on reproducing oppression, end quote. That's from page three. Now, if we flip this critical framing, we could also look at the world within computing culture. So for example, taking a look at the sexism that has gone on within different corporations, such as like in some gaming communities, etc., that is a way of looking inside the culture of computing, rather than looking at how computing impacts cultures outside of that. Now, the authors do mention that there is overlap between these. It's not like you just have to be one or the other. So while I mentioned that I'm heavily influenced within the situated framings and scholars within that area, we also have the opportunity through the curriculum and the PD to dive into the cognitive or the critical framing. It really depends on how you use the curriculum because they're designed for multiple use cases rather than just, hey, everybody, you're all gonna learn this exact same thing and create the same product through this project. Instead, it's more of, here is an idea or a foundation that you can build off of and you can explore this in different ways. It could focus more on your identities as an individual and maybe even some of the oppression that you experience or people that you know, or it could focus on your interests, or it could just focus on exploring different concepts and practices within computer science. It depends on how you as the learner explores the resources, but it also depends on how somebody facilitates the use of those resources. For example, are the example projects a model or a mandate? Are you creating the exact same thing and replicating it? Or are you using as a model to say, oh, here are some ideas, but I'm gonna change it and make it my own. While I prefer the latter, I prefer to use it as a model that you can remix and expand and make your own to make it interesting. I have seen other educators use the resources that I've created 
as more of a mandate. And just because I have a preference for one over the other, it doesn't mean that you can't use it a different way. Okay, so after this framing of the three different types of computational thinking, the next section is titled Moving Toward Computational Literacies. So they mentioned that they use the term literacies to account for like the different ways that people can engage with computing, rather than just saying there is one computing literacy. And this use of the term draws from a variety of different fields, such as like learning sciences, and I've seen it in media studies, etc. So here's a quote from pages three and four that actually defines, well, what exactly is computational literacies? What does this mean? Quote, we define computational literacies as a set of practices situated in a social-cultural context which utilize external computational media to support cognition and communication. Computational literacies encompass phenomena at scales from the individual to the societal, as well as connections between three phenomena and the media which supports and shapes them." End quote. Okay, so let's kind of break this down a little bit. So the first part, we define computational literacies as a set of practices situated in a social cultural context. Okay, so the things that you would learn through computational literacies are relevant within the real world. That's kind of like one way that you can look at this. So instead of just learning a concept for the sake of learning a concept, it's oh, this is embedded within something you actually use in social cultural context, so outside of the classroom. So rather than call this a set of concepts, it's saying practices. So practices is something that you do rather than just conceptualize or understand or think through. So this is much more action oriented than the word computational thinking, where you're just thinking. You don't necessarily have an action associated with that, although you certainly can. The wording itself, does not lend itself to a doing, but instead of a conceiving or thinking through. Okay, so now let's look at the second half of this sentence. So the first part was talking about practices situated in social cultural contexts, which utilize external computational media to support cognition and communication. So it's saying it utilizes external computational media. Okay, so rather than just thinking computationally, you're actually using media specifically computational media, in those practices that you're doing. This is very different. Computational thinking initially started as like thinking as a computer scientist or thinking as how a computer might solve a problem. And in my opinion, it moved so far away from that that you didn't even need to think about computers or computer scientists at all to engage in this very watered down version of problem solving that happened to be labeled computational thinking, simply because it has some labels within it that were related to computer science, like decomposition, abstraction, algorithms, pattern recognition, etc. This definition of computational literacies, however, specifically focuses on computational media. So it's bringing it back to computing, not just thinking. But the very last part of this, of supporting cognition and communication, I like the fact that it helps with the thinking side of things, the understanding, cognition, but also how to communicate. It's important for people to engage in computational literacies, not just as a problem-solving tool, but to also be able to communicate things. And if we go to that second sentence where it was talking about the phenomena on the scale from individual to societal, it's important to be able to communicate as an individual how computing is relevant to you, but also how it impacts society. So for example, if you're going to go into more of the critical framings of computational literacies, thinking of how computing can oppress others, either intentionally or unintentionally. Being able to communicate that and to be able to understand how it does that and then engage in, in practices that can have an impact on that, hopefully improve that, is important. And then the very last part, so the quote of connections between these phenomena and the media that supports and shapes them is saying that there's a relationship between the two. So rather than having unidirectional, like this computing device has an impact on people, but people don't have an impact on computing, it says that there is a relationship that you need to figure out how one shapes the other and vice versa. 
And I think this is very important. So after that little bit of a ramble, I'm gonna read this quote again, one more time from pages three and four. Quote, we define computational literacies as a set of practices situated in a social cultural context, which utilize external computational media to support cognition and communication. Computational literacies encompass phenomena at scales from the individual to the societal, as well as connections between these phenomena and the media which supports and shapes in, end quote. There's so much to unpack in that definition, and hopefully that little unpacking that I did assisted with understanding this, but I really like this framing in it. There's so many meanings that can just be derived from those two sentences alone that you could write an entire paper that just talks about that and the potential implications of the wording that is in that particular definition. If, however, you disagree with this wording or you think that it should include A, B, or C or whatever, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to have you on the show to kind of unpack this and talk about it some more. There is a contact me button on my website at jaredoleary.com. You can reach out there. All right, so the next page in this section discusses three core questions about the relationship between computer science and K-12 education. So these questions are related to whom, what, and how. So the first one with whom, who should learn computer science? Now, the authors point out that, well, I mean, it might be pretty straightforward that everybody should learn computer science, but they problematize this a bit more because the discourse tends to be around, well, there's not enough people who can fill the jobs right now, so therefore everybody should learn computer science. But there are many more nuances to consider than just, hey, there's open jobs, so therefore everyone needs to learn this thing. Because if literally everybody was qualified to do it, there would not be enough jobs for everybody to go into that field. But then what about the negative impact on every other field that doesn't require computer science? Here's a quote from page four. Quote, while technology careers are one possible endpoint for K-12 CS education, they should not be the only option. Instead, we also need to include vocational training, civic engagement, and creative expression as possible options, end quote. Totally agree with that. Now, a little bit further down in that same paragraph, here's a longer quote that I'm gonna read, and it's a, a really good quote, also from page four. Quote, from the perspectives of computational literacies, the cognitive and situated practices which constitute CS are endemic to a particular highly privileged community. These practices have been phenomenally successful, but it does not necessarily follow that the same practices will serve other communities with their own goals in the same way. Does CS for all imply that everybody ought to change to accommodate CS or that CS ought to change to accommodate everybody? In our view, there are parallels to the claim that standard English is for everyone, both in terms of why the claim is problematic and how we might productively advance a discussion of educational priorities." End quote. So two weeks ago, I did an unpacking scholarship episode that at the end on my lingering thoughts and questions, I shared that th I shared that computer science might be a form of colonization on certain identities or communities or ways of being or even valuing. So the example that I gave is, are we going to force Amish communities to learn cybersecurity? Or is that a form of colonization if we were to do that? So the way that CS and CT, or in this case, CL, computational literacies, is discussed comes from a place of privilege at times and might not always consider whether or not a community actually values those goals in the same way. And I keep bringing this back up, but Pedagogy of the Press by Paulo Freire, discussion on dialogue, check out chapter three to kind of learn more about the importance of actually engaging in a discussion or a dialogue between oppressor and the oppressed, rather than just making assumptions. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Now, the paragraph that's right after that also has some really good quotes in there, talking about the digital divide, the haves and have-nots and access, technological determinism, etc. So I highly recommend actually going and reading this paper to read what's going on there. But even though I've got the majority of this paper highlighted, I can't read all of it just because of copyright issues and whatnot. So check it out, it's on page four. 
left side starts with paradigms, etc. All right, so the second question on the what. So on the top right corner of page four, the authors discuss how when you define literacies and what it means as who is literate and who is not, this is a way of defining what practices are considered to be legitimate and what are not. So thinking of like Levin Wenger's legitimate peripheral participation, which is a key part of communities of practice. If you haven't read up on that scholarship, it's very interesting and very seminal. Maybe I'll do an unpacking scholarship on that. And the authors mentioned that it's important to think through these forms of legitimization because Quote, such definitions could be helpful in constructing pathways to educational opportunity, but they could also contribute to blaming victims for their own marginalization. In our view, the question of what to teach in K-12 CS need not have a single answer, but could instead have many answers grounded in the computational literacy practices of diverse communities and cultures, end quote. Yeah, so that last part in particular just resonates so much. Like I've mentioned many times that I try and take a multi-perspectivalist approach in that there are many different ways that you can engage in computer science, whether it's from a pedagogical standpoint or a content standpoint or whatever. And so to acknowledge that what might work for you in the communities that you work with might not work well for others is one of the reasons why I strongly question standards when it is imposed as everyone should engage in these concepts and practices in the same way. That I think is problematic. However, to argue with myself, I also think it's helpful for teachers who do not have the ability to kind of to set their own pathways that align with the needs of the communities and the students that they work with. The standards can be very useful for serving as like a landmark to say, oh, this is something that might be useful to explore, but we don't necessarily have to. So again, treating it as a model rather than a mandate, I think is a way that you can have your cake and eat it too with standards. So you can problematize it and say, hey, this isn't the only way of conceiving of computer science, but also acknowledging that, hey, this is really useful when exploring the domain of computer science if you don't have much experience guiding people through the domain. All right, so the last question that they have on here is related to the how. So quote, how should we teach computational thinking? Should it be taught as a standalone topic or integrated within other K-12 classes? Despite considerable evidence that learning computational thinking does little for students' general problem-solving abilities, we noted above that decontextualized curricula and assessments dominate current K-12 CS education initiatives. End quote from page four. Again, that really resonates. And so does the following quote a little bit further down in the paragraph. Quote, this approach risks a one-directional integration of computational thinking into existing literacies, tailoring instruction to make it relevant to diverse cultures and identities, as suggested by the metaphor of a leaky pipeline of STEM education, without also locating educational goals in those cultures and identities, and then asking how or if computation might contribute, end quote. Yet again, just absolutely love some of these quotes in here. I've seen many, many times at different conferences over the years, people talk about, oh, well, you can use computational thinking for making music. See, look at these lyrics right here. We can find loops in here and we can rewrite these lyrics as an algorithm. Okay, you can do that. However, one of the things that's often not asked in those discussions is how does that actually contribute to making music? So as somebody who has multiple degrees in music education and been around musicians for the majority of my adult life, I don't know anyone who uses computational thinking when creating music. And yes, I do know several musicians who compose who are also programmers, including myself. But I literally don't know a single person who engages in computational thinking deliberately to make music or who would look at computational thinking and go, oh, wow, that's going to be extremely useful for writing my next rondo. So while yes, you can look at things through a lens of computational thinking, we really got to consider, is this appropriate? Does this contribute and how? And then also acknowledging that, hey, you know, these domains that we're looking at, 
also have their own ways of thinking, and maybe some of those ways of thinking would be useful for computer scientists, rather than assuming computer scientists have the answer that can be applied into every single domain. Now, I'm not saying everyone who investigates and discusses computational thinking thinks that way, but it is often framed that way, or it can at least come across that way unintentionally. All right, so the last section in this paper is on priorities for K-12 inquiries. So in this, they're basically calling for more research on computational literacies. So rather than just focusing on computational skills and concepts, they would like for more research to actually focus on student identities and the communities in which they live. In addition to that, we also need to focus on pedagogies that consider both the political and ethical implications of teaching CS and problematize how having like an and a unit or a module or a course on ethics is just not enough. So fusing together the situated framings and the critical framings with the cognitive framings in order to explore CS more holistically in a way that's relevant, but also is useful for not only the kids that we work with, but for the world. All right, so that's a quick summary of a fairly short paper, but again, I highlighted so much in this paper, I do highly recommend taking a look at it. I now wanna share some of my lingering questions and thoughts related to reading this particular paper. So one of them is, I mentioned this a little bit, but I really like the way of how the authors move away from the word thinking toward literacies. The focus on practices makes this much more actionable and doable rather than just focusing on cognitive things. So rather than just focusing on thinking, we're actually doing something with that thinking. And it's implied in the framing of the words that are used in their definition. Now, I could go on for a long time about some of my thoughts about this particular episode, but I've kind of embedded those throughout this. So what I'm curious about is what are your own thoughts after hearing the definition of computational literacies and hopefully after reading the paper? So what I'd highly recommend is actually going on social medias or going with your own social groups and just engaging in a discussion on this. Maybe doing like a little study on this particular paper and kind of talking about, well, what does this mean for our computer science programs? And if it's not computer science programs and you're just engaging in computational thinking, what does it mean for that? I include a link to this paper in the show notes, which again, you can find at jaredoleary.com. And again, it's available for free right now. On my website, there's a contact me button. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to be a guest on the show and then check out all the other links to the hundreds, if not thousands of free resources on my website including the link to bootuppd.org. Speak for another episode, and until then, I hope you are staying safe and are having a wonderful week.